Well, good morning. It's great to see you. We've had a wonderful morning already in our first two services. I know the Lord's going to bless today as we're here as His people to worship Him. I need to tell you, as your pastor, you've not seen me in any of the golf courses here in LaGrange because I am not a golfer. A lot of pastors are, not me. But I have great respect for all of those good golfers out there, especially those professional golfers who make such a difficult sport look so easy and effortless. I do remember the first time I ever played golf as a teenager. I was with my dad and we got to the first hole. I used the tee and got my ball ready, got my driver ready, and I swung. Oh man, it was a bad shot. It went out into the woods. It did not go down the fairway like it was supposed to go. Then my dad said, Cade, take out another golf ball, put it down. You need to take a mulligan. I said, a what? He said, a mulligan. And then he explained to me what that was. That basically, if you're playing against a very gracious opponent, it was my dad who, pretty gracious to me, his son, he said that you can actually have a do-over and that your bad shot that you do at first won't count against you. And so that was really good news. And so I, I hit the ball again. I'm sure it was still a really bad drive because I was not a good golfer, still am not. But it was great to be able to redo now, in the last service, I actually had a chance to uh, use my little son, Andrew, as an illustration because this last week, he let me play on, he let me play on his device, all right? I grew up with Atari and then the Nintendo Entertainment System. Now, they have this thing called Nintendo Switch, and it's a handheld gaming device that you can link into your big screen, and so it can be on the big screen, or it can be an on-the-go device, and so I'm playing on Andrew, he's seven, he got it for Christmas, but Daddy got to play with it, his Nintendo Switch, and he showed me something that completely was a game-changer for me playing on that switch. He says, Dad, if you just hold down the two bumper buttons, you can actually go back and redo everything. Man, it was amazing. And so and I was walking out of the service a few minutes ago and Bill Honeycutt said, imagine what that would have been for us playing Mario on the NES. Uh, it, it makes a huge difference. Every mistake that you make, you push the button, you go back, you redo it until you get it right. Redo, that's the name of this new sermon series. And all of us, especially those of us who are real good at making messes, we can all appreciate the opportunity to redo. What if you could look over the course of your past life and actually redo some decisions that you've made? Wouldn't that be great to be able to redo some of those bad decisions that you've made? What if you could look over the past of your life and redo something that you did that didn't turn out like you thought it was going to turn out? That'd be great, wouldn't it? What if you could redo a broken relationship, redo the mistakes, redo what was already really good to make it even better? Most of us would cherish the opportunity for a redo. Because when we redo something... We do it again. 
We do it again because we aren't pleased with how it was the first time. In redoing, we're saying that what was could be better if done again. Now, I know that there are perhaps many things in life that we cannot redo. But there are things in our lives that we can. After living through the entire year of 2020, and we made it, didn't we? We made it through this year. It's a new year. After experiencing all that we experienced in 2020, and after witnessing what just transpired last week in our nation's capital, all of us, I believe, today would be in favor of a redo. I want to begin with a scripture verse. It's not going to be our main verse, but it comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 18. Because what we find in the Word of God is we find a mixture of, of narrative of the story of God working in human history. And we also find a mixture of commands and promises. We find a command here. And as difficult as it was last year for our church, for all churches, for all believers, not just in our country but around the world, we are commanded by God to be thankful at all times. I'm going to read this verse. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Don't miss that word, all. All circumstances. Give thanks. Not just the good, but all circumstances. This is the will of God for us. And so here's what I want us to do today. I want us to give thanks to God for 2020. And all that we have learned in that year. Now, for some of you, it may have been a really blessed year. For some of you, it may have been a really difficult year. But I thank God that over the past year, that your leaders, our, your, your staff, our deacons, were able to kind of step back. I mean, when, when you shut down in-person worship for 12 weeks, you've got some time to just reflect and evaluate what are we doing Why are we doing it? How are we doing it? Can we do it better? And I must say through that good process of evaluation, as your pastor now for five and a half years, looking back, even prior to 2020, there have been some good decisions made and good things that have been done. But I could also say, looking back the past five and a half years as your pastor, there have been so not so good things, decisions made. However... We have an opportunity. It's a blank slate. I really mean that. In 2021, with all the devastation, I said when I preached about Elijah that the Lord was shaking us, I believe. I still believe that. He was shaking us, getting our attention, calling us to focus on who we are being as a church and what we are doing as a church. And I believe for such a time as this, 2021 is our opportunity, men and women, boys and girls, young people, old people, everybody here, everyone listening online right now or on television, this is our opportunity to redo. We just sang about God's mercy, God's great faithfulness to us. His mercies are more. Aren't you glad that every day 
It's a chance to redo because his mercies are new every morning. Every day you can start over with God and redo. And that's the glorious good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you watched the video before I got up to preach. And near the end of the video, there were six words that start with R. I'm going to talk about two of those words. Those six words were refresh, rebuild, rethink, revise, rewrite, and reconnect. And so this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to cover all six of those words. And we're going to be explaining over the coming weeks our focus, our opportunity as a leadership team to redo what we're doing as a church together. I'll focus, though, this week on just the first two. Refresh and rebuild. If you have your Bibles, find two places there. Find it on your Bible app on your phone. Acts chapter 3, Nehemiah chapter 1. Acts is in the New Testament after the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. Good luck finding books in the Old Testament, but it's there, all right? You'll find it. There's a table of contents. Use it, all right? First word. Refresh. Refresh. I didn't say this in our early service, but I said it in our last service. For some reason, when I think about refresh, I think in songs and images and things from the past. And I have in my mind that, for some reason, that, that, that commercial about coast soap, right? The scent that opens your eyes, right? Uh, refreshing, coming alive, uh, cleaning yourself up, right? Looking refreshed, feeling refreshed. Hopefully when you go on a vacation, you come back and you feel refreshed. We need to be refreshed as followers of Jesus. Because everything that has happened in the past year, the backdrop that is around us, the air we breathe, the things we have seen that we've collectively experienced together, all of those things, wow, they've taken a toil on us. Every single one of us, including Christians, we're not immune to experiencing fear and depression and frustration, but we need to be refreshed. Look what the Bible says in Acts 3, starting in verse 19, about finding refreshment from God. Repent, then, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that He may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. The command is clear. Repent. Repent. Some Christians need to repent from blindly following a political leader or party or putting too much trust in any human being or system. Some Christians need to repent from allowing fear to grip us to the point of paralysis. Some Christians need to repent from losing our first love, our first devotion, our first allegiance, our first love is always to Jesus. What does it mean to repent? Well, it means to change your mind, to change your view. You rethink 
how you're living. You rethink how you've been thinking. And you rethink what you're giving value to. Repentance always, always, always begins in the mind. I've said this many times, defining repentance to you in sermons these past five and a half years. But the great example in the Bible of repentance is the prodigal son in Luke's gospel. It says, when he came to his senses, he was rethinking who he was, where he was, what he was doing. That's where repentance begins. That's what it is. It's rethinking It's a change of mind. And when you think differently, guess what? You'll begin to have different affections, emotions, feelings. It will change your heart, how you feel. Thoughts, heart, all connected. Emotions, mental thoughts, it's all being changed. And then it leads to change of behavior, which leads to a changed life. Here we're told... Repentance will produce a turning. He says, repent then and turn to God. Repentance is a turning away from what? Sin, where we fall short of the glory of God. But it's a turning to God. Because when we turn to God and we're truly repenting, we're going to be confessing. Our sin. How can our sins be wiped out if we don't confess them? Now, I'm speaking here to followers of Jesus. This promise given in Acts is to the church. If you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, you don't have to confess every single sin you've ever committed for those to be forgiven. Jesus paid it all. He died for all of our sins. You simply have to come to God in faith and say, Jesus, I've fallen short. I need you to save me. It's not up to us to remember all of our sins. But as you come to God in faith through Jesus, repenting, and as you continue as a Christian each day to change your view, change your heart, change how you're living by turning to God away from sin, you need to know what those sins are that are keeping you from living as you should, right? So you confess those sins. So repentance, turning to God, there'll be a cleansing of sin. And then we're told that times of refreshing will come from the Lord. I think of that old hymn we sang at the North Russellville Baptist Church in northwest Alabama. Showers of blessing. There shall be showers of blessing. Showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling. But for your showers we plead. We need those cleansing showers of blessing. The transforming refreshment that comes from God. We all know that we need that. Our sins wiped out. Refreshing from God. And here's the principle I want to talk about from these verses. We need... Refreshing from the Lord. But there is no refreshing apart from repentance. That's what these verses tell us. I think all of you would say, Pastor, sign me up. I've had a bad year or I need to have a new start. Please, I want to be refreshed. 
No refreshing without repentance. We need Jesus to come into our land, our churches, our homes, and our lives. What a promise in these verses that the Father will send Jesus. What does this mean? Well, Jesus has already come. If you read the book of Acts chapter 1, he tells his disciples, right? Goodbye, in essence, that you'll be filled with power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses. And then he goes into heaven. So Jesus Christ has already come, died, resurrected, gone into heaven. So what is he talking about here that he'll send the Son? Well, I think two things. First, he is saying that Jesus will come again. He's reminding us that there's going to be a second coming of Jesus. If we want to usher in the second coming of Jesus, we're to take the gospel to all people, the Bible says. And that will only happen when we repent of our selfishness, of our fear to share Jesus with the world. That will usher in the second coming of Jesus. But more than that, I believe he's also saying that when you repent, when you turn from sin to God, and that time of refreshing comes, that the Spirit of God, The very Holy Spirit of God, the presence of Jesus Christ will come into your life, into the atmosphere of your home, of your family, of your church, of your nation. There'll be a literal coming of Jesus, spiritually speaking, in the person of the Holy Spirit. We need that, don't we? But it's not going to come without repentance. So I want us to do something together. Now that you're all comfortable in your seats, we're going to read out loud from 2 Chronicles 7.14, a great promise that was given to the people of Israel, but that we can't apply to our own lives because if we're the people of God, and we are as Christians, then this promise is for us too. Would you stand with me in honor of the Word of God? And I want to just invite you to read this verse with your family out loud and say these words as a prayer like you believe them and mean them and let's confess the word of God together and notice in this verse there is a pattern what of repentance before healing that's promised say it out loud with me if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, it's good to stand up, sit down. That keeps your blood flowing, keeps you awake. Also, it gives honor to the Word of God that we might confess and believe this promise. First word, refresh. No refreshing without repentance. Second word, rebuild. Rebuild. We're in a massive rebuilding process as the church of Jesus Christ. It's it's no surprise that COVID has completely devastated church attendance and involvement and commitment And so we're in this process of rebuilding. I've heard studies that say churches need to have a five-year plan to rebuild their churches back to what they were before COVID. Our country, our government, our communities, our families, our churches, 
They're broken down, aren't they? And we cannot sit back and watch it all happen without taking some action. Nehemiah. Nehemiah is one that we must look at this morning. He was a Hebrew, a Jewish man who happened to live in a foreign country. He was an exile. He served as the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes there in Persia. And his job was a most important job because everything that the king would drink had to go through Nehemiah first. He tasted it first. So if Artaxerxes had an adversary who wanted to poison him, guess who got poisoned first? Nehemiah. It was a dangerous job, but it was also a job of great respect and integrity and trust. Because what would prevent Nehemiah if some big adversary of King Artaxerxes paid him off and said, here, slip this poison into that cup? What would prevent him from drinking the cup, dropping the poison in, handing it over to the king? King dies. He gets the paybacks. He can become the new cupbearer to a new king. No, he was trusted. He was a man of his word and he was a man of integrity. So what do we find? We find in the first chapter of Nehemiah, that's where we're going to be, that he gets some news from Israel. Look there at verse 2. Nehemiah 1 verse 2. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Notice his response in verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down. And wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now you keep reading past chapter 1. What do you find? You find Nehemiah go on to motivate, mobilize, equip, and lead Israel to rebuild its holy city. How? Did Nehemiah accomplish such a difficult task that no one else had accomplished before he went back to Jerusalem to do the work? How did Nehemiah make this happen? What was it that enabled him to lead all these people to rebuild the most important city in the land of Israel and perhaps in the whole world at that time? Well, that's been the subject of much scholarly work and commentaries. And so much has been written about Nehemiah's outstanding leadership ability, his vision, the way he could clarify what needed to happen, his organizational skills, his motivation skills, and his single-minded focus. He had all those things, but he had something else. And I would argue... That the one thing that empowered Nehemiah is the same thing that would empower the people of God today to rebuild everything that is broken in this world in which we're living. And here's the truth. Here's the principle. This is what Nehemiah had that we must have. 
We need to be broken hearted for all that is broken and become once again a people of prayer. Just leave that up there, Ricky, for us to think about. C.T. Studd, the late missionary, said, Let our hearts be broken by the things that break the heart of God. If it breaks God's heart, it should break our heart if we have the heart of God in us. And if we're followers of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Our hearts should be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Real brokenness. Not a show, but real, authentic, broken-heartedness. That is what Nehemiah had. Now, it should go without saying that the church is to be a house of prayer. That's what Jesus said. My Father's house is to be a house of prayer. But over the past 40 years, we've designed our churches in such a way that we try to do all that we can just to keep people in the building for an hour for worship and hopefully another hour if the church has the space to do a Bible study afterwards, a small group Bible study, both of which are very good and very Biblical things. To gather like we're doing today in worship is biblical. And we're going to keep doing this until Jesus comes back. And it's biblical either on Sunday mornings or throughout the week to get in a small group Bible study. We need to have that in our lives. And it's good that we can see the talent that God's blessed this church with that we might sing and make musical worship and praise to God And hopefully it's good for us to humble ourselves under the Word of God and hear a message from the Bible, from a preacher. But the house of God is not to be a house of preaching or a house of worship or even a house of Bible study, but a house of prayer, Jesus said. Churches in general have just given up on having a regular prayer meeting. But this is not what we find in the book of Acts, the early church. They were devoted to prayer. And Nehemiah would have never had the strength and the leadership ability to return to Jerusalem and lead Israel to rebuild their capital city without what we find in him in in Nehemiah chapter 1. Look back there with me in your Bibles. I'm going to read his response again in verse 4. Then I'm going to read his prayer. And then quickly comment about his prayer and call us to prayer. Verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love With those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my Father's family have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember 
the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants whom delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today. By granting him favor in the presence of this man, I was cupbearer to the king. Five things quickly from his prayer. First, Nehemiah devoted his time and his heart to prayer. It wasn't just a quick, oh no, that's bad, I'll pray for them. He spent days in prayer, devoting himself in prayer. It wasn't just a mental exercise for Nehemiah. It was something that altered the very rhythm and flow of his life. He didn't eat, he fasted. And he opened his heart to God in prayer and he wept. He was broken over the disgrace that was taking place in the holy city of God, Jerusalem. He devoted his time, his heart to God in prayer. Where are we when it comes to that? Where are we? We must move past short, brief, little Prayers, we pray a few minutes a day and go about our real lives. No, there's got to be a, there's going to be a rebuilding. If there's going to be a refreshing to come, a redo for our church, for every church, we've got to be devoted in prayer with our hearts and our time. Number two, in his prayer, Nehemiah clearly knows who God is. He says, Lord, the God of heaven The great and awesome God who's made a covenant with all those who love you. He he knows who his God is. He knows who he's praying to. But when you look at our prayers sometimes, we pray as if we don't know who we're praying to. Because if we knew who we're praying to, our prayers would sound and look differently. You've probably heard on the news or social media a few days ago about a an incident that took place in one of the houses, either in the house or the Senate. I'm not sure if it's the Senate or the house, but there was a, a prayer prayed. And what the prayer was known for was the way the guy ended the prayer. He said, Amen and all women, which, by the way, butchers the meaning. Amen. It means let it be, so be it. It has nothing to do with gender. So that just shows the ignorance, sadly, that people have about that word Amen. But here's what troubled troubled me more. I mean, I was frustrated about that. And that's our word. We say amen. That's our word as Christians. Don't mess with it. I was more troubled by the person's description of of the God he was praying to. It was this watered-down, pluralistic, whatever you want your God to be kind of. And I'm like, how dare you? Stand the capital of our nation, and describe God this way. There is one God, 
and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we come to the Father through Jesus Christ the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit when we pray. Nehemiah knew who God was. And when you and I know who God is, it will change the way we pray. Third, Nehemiah confesses the sins of Israel in the first person. It's not those Israelites there in the land. They're so wicked. It's none of this pointing. It was we. I confess the sins we Israelites including myself and my father's family, have committed. We have acted wickedly. When will the day come that we will collectively confess the sins of our communities, of our families, of our nation, of our world? That's what Nehemiah did. That's why he was so broken. For in his prayer, Nehemiah declares the word of God. He says, remember that instruction you gave your servant Moses, that if you're unfaithful, that you'll scatter us. But if we return to you, God, you will bring us as far as we might be away from Jerusalem. Back to that place that you chose as a dwelling place for your name. That is the temple found in Jerusalem. Pray, church, with an open Bible. Pray the promises of God. In his prayer, Nehemiah declares the word of God. But number five, in his prayer, Nehemiah places his petition at the very end. Our petitions are often at the very beginning, right? Lord, I need, Lord, help, Lord, please And God's a good God. He he hears our prayers. He loves us. But notice that he devotes his time, his heart to God in prayer. He declares who God clearly is. He confesses the sins of the people in the first person. We have done this. He doesn't try to pass the buck. He declares the word of God. And then at the end, oh, by the way, God, please give me success today. Give me favor when I am in the presence of the King. This morning, we get a redo. His mercies are new every morning. And though we're five minutes away from the top of the hour, five minutes is not enough for us. But we're going to make some time right now to repent, to refresh To be rebuilt with hearts that are broken. So we're going to enter into a season of prayer. And this altar is open. Feel free to come and kneel at the altar. Spread out six feet apart. Make your seats where you're sitting. Where your families are together. Let that be your altar of prayer. Let us change our thoughts. Our view of who God is, who we are, who this church is, who our community is. Let there be a change in us that will lead to refreshing. Let us be brokenhearted for sin that God might rebuild our hearts and rebuild this church and rebuild the church of Jesus Christ and rebuild this broken world. Let us be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Father, now, as we'll hear the instruments play quietly, As we turn this beautiful place of worship 
into a place of prayer. God, I pray that you would move us through the power of the Holy Spirit. You are the great covenant-keeping God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know who you are. We read of what you've done. You are God. We are not. We humble ourselves. You sent Jesus to save us. We put our hope in him. We pray in his name to you, God, and the power of the Spirit. God, let there be a refreshing comes about because of the repentance of your church. God, let there be a rebuilding, a restarting, a renewing in our hearts for those at home, for those watching. Let them pause wherever they are and just enter into the presence of God that we might be refreshed, rebuilt. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is your time now to come. The altar is open. Families can huddle together, can join hands, can pray together. These next five minutes or so will come out of this time with a song in a moment. But for, let's let these sacred moments be a time of sacred, refreshing, and rebuilding, coming from repentance and a broken heart.